Hello. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. That's Liz over there. And that's Sarah. She is a pagan witch. And she is a Catholic. And we're back at it today. Have you had any more weird dreams? Um, if I have, they have been eclipsed by the other general nonsense of my life, um, lately. So, so yeah, so you got a job. Congratulations. I did. I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I didn't have one, but it also feels really, it feels very capitalist America to say I have a master's degree and I'm working in a supermarket. So <laughs> I have been there. Yeah, it definitely is. It's very American. And uh, I'm the same way with jobs. I hate having them and I hate not having them. Yeah, my, I, like I told you, my ideal job is being like an, a year into the job and knowing exactly how much effort you have to put into the job um, and just skirting that line. <laughs> I love knowing everything there is to know. Yes. In my job. Like, I, I hate being like, um, excuse me, could you tell me where I go? Ugh, pathetic. I and can't stand asking questions. Yes, I despise that aspect of a job and that constant feeling of you're going to fuck up and like somebody's going to slice your head off. Yeah. Somebody's like, how dare you? Like, yeah. a complete idiot would know this. Yeah gonna be guillotined in the back room (laughs) (laughs) the back room what do they do back there I don't know (laughs) so are they guillotine people I will say that having a lot of like weird part-time or even full-time but like jobs that you don't really care that much about like you do learn a lot about how things actually work Mm -hmm. in a way that like boomers for example who like went to college for free and like got a good job right away have no idea about no they have (laughs) they have no idea of what it's like to work like a a 17 hour shift on a 15 minute break and it's Mm. legal because of the way they set it up in the system um yeah, yeah that's a lot of fun the loopholes that companies go through to not give you proper pay or benefits or anything. And then just like, just like the, the basics of like working as a server in a kitchen and like how a kitchen functions. Cause like these boomers, like these Karens, they sit at their table, their food is like two minutes late and they're like, Oh my God, my server is such a dumb slut. Like (laughs) I guarantee that the server is not the problem. Mm-hmm. you know my like, my sister is whatever a Karen is but our age <laughs> oh, um, no <laughs> she gets it from her mom um <laughs> god love both of them mm-hmm. but she's the one who'd be like we sat down before that table next to us and they got our food first and I really want to slap her sometimes and be like we are a table of four people and they're a table of two <laughs> they have less food to bring out ours all has to be done at the same time exactly like you everyone got hot food so it's all at the same time yeah yeah and you you just want to wring their necks because it's common fucking sense yeah but somehow it's not yeah I don't know what to do with those people I really don't I don't know how to convince other people that they should have empathy like I you know what I mean impossible at this point look at what our country is right now (laughs) the the shithole that is our country right now (laughs) 
I don't want to. <laughs> you got Texas that we're suing. Apparently, I think we're suing the state of Texas. I don't know what's going on. What? People are taking fucking horse dewormer and drinking Roundup. I don't. I don't know what we're doing, Sarah. It's so funny that people are doing that. It's not funny. It's kind of funny. It's pretty funny that people are taking horse dewormer because they're worried about being sterilized by the vaccine and they're taking horse dewormer. (laughs) I don't trust the vaccine, but I trust vet medication for horses. Wow. What the fuck? It's natural selection. At this point. Um, I was gonna tell you something. Fuck. I always do this. Um, well, I did not uncover the significance of your crazy dream. Well, um, that's disappointing. I'm so sorry. That's okay. My dreams are mostly nonsense until (laughs) they're not. (laughs) Yeah, true. I did, however, buy an ice cream maker. that thing that has become your entire personality oh my god it's so bad I'm sure I've gained like 30 pounds in the past (laughs) two weeks it's horrific um yeah so I'm just I'm just making ice cream all the time now it's what I do it's how I live my life that's what my grandpa used to do all the time whenever he had an ice cream maker is just make ice cream and then he'd put it in the freezer in like bulk batches mm-hmm. um he did the same thing whenever he got one of those like soda streams he would just make a shit ton of soda so I think hyperfixation just like ruts in the family I feel like I would get along with him yeah I feel like you would get along with my weird mortician grandpa so <laughs> Yeah, because I also do the same thing. Like in a week, I will be done making ice cream. Yep. Anything. He made a whole, a shit ton of pies one week for like a week. And then I don't think I've seen him make a pie since it's been like two, three years, but yeah, did that (laughs) right about this time last year. Um, It's mental illness, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what it actually is. Maybe ADHD probably (laughs) undiagnosed ADHD for sure I think a lot of women have it Mm -hmm. just don't run around distracted by everything right sit down in the classroom right yeah (laughs) (laughs) um what is this podcast Liz (laughs) uh verifiable shit show is what this podcast is and this week it's set in Ireland I think. Ireland yeah I am also in Ireland Fancy. um yeah so we're gonna talk about some saints and witches in Ireland hold on to your hats <laughs> <laughs> hold on to your asses so we are in Ireland again. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know how long it's been since we've been in Ireland, but I know we've been here at least once. Yeah. With um, Alice Kittler. Mm-hmm. That was way, way back. Yeah. It's one of our first episodes. Yeah. Surely we've been here since then. I have no idea though. Nothing's coming to mind. <laughs> That's what I keep thinking. <laughs> I think what it is, is we've been in Scotland twice and we've been in England a bunch of times. We've been in England a shit ton. Y'all need to stop fucking producing saints and killing witches. Like, calm the fuck down. England is really bad. Yeah. In that yeah. regard. <laughs> and calm just, down. Just generally bad. 
Um, I'm going to be talking about the most recent trial I have ever talked about, I think. Mm. It's recent enough that I actually have photographs of my quote unquote witch. Wow. Yeah. It's very interesting when I found that out because a lot of the times when I watch documentaries and stuff, they put up photos and I'm like, is this my witch? And then I find out it's like some stock photo from the era. They're like, this is what she could have looked like because she was a peasant. It's like, that's not helpful. <laughs> like, okay, so you could have used any peasant stock photo. <laughs> Anybody at all. They'll do it with paintings too. I'll be like, oh, so this is my witch. They'll be like, no, this is like third witch from the left in a completely different case in another country. It's like, Thanks. But yes, I actually have photos because it takes place in 1895. Um, that seems late. Very late. It takes place in the village of Balavadlia, I think. And preemptive apology for the pronunciations, the few pronunciations I have in this. Um, I couldn't find anybody to say these words for me. So I'm just making them up. Mm-hmm. Um Bellavadlia has a population of about 31, not <laughs> thousand, not hundred, just 31. How does it even have a name? <laughs> That's just it's, a family. <laughs> it is about half the size of the village that my cousins lived in, the stone's throw from my hometown. So jeez. Because that village, um, their village has 80 some people. So <sighs> That's just like, I mean, it, it really is like a couple houses and some trailers out in the middle of some cornfields. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we just slapped a name on it. You know, I respect that. Yeah, I do too. Balavadlia is in the county of Tipperary, Ireland, and this is the murder trial of Bridget Cleary. Mm. yeah I also don't think I've ever done a murder trial before so I am very excited for several reasons big change of pace here Mm -hmm. um before I get started I have two quick disclaimers the first is that I was working with secondary sources this week uh primary sources for this case do exist and they are archived and you can theoretically go find them because they're in an archive Um, I did have access to a list of what is archived, so I know what documents specifically they have, Mm -hmm. Um, but I could not find those primary documents easily and didn't want to continue to waste my time trying to track them down when Mm. I could just be reading other stuff, Mm -hmm. Um, which leads me to my second disclaimer. Um, There are many witness accounts of what happened in this murder case because there are many people involved in it, Mm. and it's far as I can tell, anytime a secondary source delivers this story, they're using different witness accounts or different combination of witness accounts. No one explicitly says that this is what they're doing. Um, Hmm. But every time I read the story or watched something, I was getting slightly different details every single time. Hmm. And I started to realize that who in particular was being quoted at that specific point in the story seemed to vary. Um, So for example, at the specific moment of the murder, one source might have quoted second guy from the left and other source might have quoted second girl from the right. Mm -hmm. Therefore, the stories don't necessarily match up. Okay. 
So my story today may not match up with what you find on the internet if you look up this story after this episode, or it may not necessarily match what you have heard if you already know this story. I am doing my own biased mishmashing of accounts, um, but I'm going to do my best to flag the places where I know specifically that accounts are not the same across the board. Okay. So on March 15th, 1895, a 26-year-old woman named Bridget Cleary, who has been sick and bedridden for the past couple of days, goes missing from her house in the middle of the night. Oh. Her husband does not know where she is, her family does not know where she is, and no one can track her down. Hmm. The, the thing is, her husband had been acting very strangely in the weeks uh, the week leading up to her disappearance. And so had her family, and they are still continuing to act very strange after her disappearance. In fact, her husband in some accounts, not all, is observed as waiting at the edge of fairy rings or ring forts or fairy ring forts or rafts race, uh, which are prehistoric dwellings slash forts that over time have become superstitious and associated with fairies. You know, those like, don't stand inside the circle, like the fairy yeah. statue kind of thing. Yeah. So. so like circles of like mushrooms or like man-made circles. Yeah. Imagine okay. like the old prehistoric, like uh, you build like a fortification, a fort, and over time it has disappeared and that's what's left of it. Yeah. They've essentially applied that to the fort. Okay. So he's so. just like weirdly creeping around these places. They surround Balavadlia, and at these fairy rings, he is said to be waiting for his, quote, real wife to return. So warrants are issued because there's just a lot of really weird shit going on with this yeah. family. Finally, on March 22nd, 1895, constables find a body in a shallow grave in a boggy field. Mm. This body is burnt, wearing stockings and the remains of undergarments, and has a sack over its head. Uh Uh-oh. When they remove the sack, they discover that the body is that of Bridget Cleary. Her husband, six family members, and a local fairy doctor are all arrested following her discovery, and the story comes out. A fairy doctor? A fairy doctor. What is that? uh we're gonna find out okay okay i'll wait i'll wait he is deeply kind of twisted into the story but yeah just a whole host of people are arrested so bridget bridget cleary maiden name boland is from balabadlia her parents bridget and patrick boland patrick being a laborer send her to be a dressmaker's apprentice as a teenager so that she'll have this stable lucrative socioeconomic position which Mm -hmm. i love them for this like how much they care about helping bridget rise out of like the poverty that they're in it's nice yeah she gets like an education with the nuns and stuff At 18 years old, Bridget graduates from her apprenticeship, and she marries a man named Michael Cleary, a Cooper and Clonmel. It's an odd choice as far as romantic matches go. Bridget is 18. She's known for being very pretty, and she's in a good position post-apprenticeship. Michael is 27, so he's Mm. nine years older than her. Mm -mm. He's a Cooper, and he's known for being sullen. Hmm. Um, 
So Bridget comes off as very, I can fix him to me. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah. This, it gives me like the Beauty and the Beast, Edward and Bella, Mary Sue meets Brooding Male vibes. Like that's how I picture these two. A tale as old as time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's definitely what I get. Okay. This. So she has married this brooding older dude. Mm-hmm. Michael and Bridget's marriage continues to confuse people because not only are they not having kids, which is very strange, apparently, um, but Bridget is staying in Balavalia with her parents and working, and Michael is staying in Clonmel and working. Okay. And they only see each other on the weekends, despite being married. It's the only time they see each other. So think that this is still technically the 1800s. Yeah. I mean, so yeah, that wasn't common i would guess so yeah that's weird yeah they're like these two are married not living together and they're not having kids and there's an age gap like all their marriage is just a weird to us yeah we don't get it um this leads to rumors in some versions that bridget is cheating on michael with a neighbor william simpson who is married in other accounts, the affair is missing and Bridget is simply choosing to live in Balavadlia because her mother is sick and needs the extra care and Michael mm. just can't relocate for work at that time. Okay. Eventually, Bridget's mother, Bridget, passes away and Bridget's father, Patrick, is given one of the laborers' houses in Balavadlia, which are like allocated housing he qualifies for because of his job. This house gives Bridget and Michael the chance to live together for the first time. But while this house is nice, and by some accounts, the nicest in the village, this house has remained vacant because it's on the edge of a fairy ring, and Mm. it's bad luck. Yeah. Nevertheless, Bridget and Michael move in, unfazed. Bridget is said to be unfazed by the fairy rings in general, and maybe even a little fascinated by them. Some stories said that she would go chill out around them with just... This reminds me of all the fucking posts floating around of people saying now that this is the time to hop into one of those fucking fairy rings and just let the fairies abduct you because just screw whatever the world is right now. It's just disappear. I, sure, I sure hope there's no fairies around watching me. <laughs> Have you seen that TikTok where the lady saw something in her camera while she was walking because the background was overexposed and it looks like a UFO coming to abduct her? <sighs> oh and then God. whenever the light adjusts, it's just a water tower and she's disappointed. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> same energy. Yeah, that's the exact same thing. Oh, mm-hmm. I mean, what a relief. Yeah, at this point, just take me away. (laughs) Replace me. Just get me gone. It's kind of like in school, this is really, really bad. And I'm a terrible person and I may go to hell. But in school, I sometimes used to daydream about a shooting. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) Because then I wouldn't have to be in math class anymore. I had whole scenarios, dude, like climbing out of windows where I would hide. Oh, yeah. Throwing shit at them, which this feels very American to say that, oh, we daydream about (laughs) school shootings and it's common. Yeah. I just, you know, casually would think about somebody strolling through the hallways with an AR-15. And just be like, "Ah, 
if only you know <laughs> it's so fucked up it is <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad I'm not the only one though because as I was no. saying it I was like "Ooh, I should not be talking but I no. just kept going no um <laughs> I've definitely had that maladaptive daydream scenario more than yeah. once I used to have it in college too be like Same. Mm, there was a school shooter I wouldn't have to teach this class right now <laughs> <laughs> remember when there was that that shooting threat for Feiner or oh. bomb threat or something and we were in class I was like man <laughs> how terrible would it be I do remember that <laughs> Wow, a lot of shit has happened for me to not remember that immediately and have to pull it out of the recesses of my mind. Yep. Wow. Anyway. (laughs) A simpler time. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, to be shot in your classroom again. (laughs) (laughs) I just took a drink of water. (laughs) Kill Sarah. Uh, to be massacred (laughs) really go for less of a pandemic and more of a school shooting right now which sounds terrible but like it's really back to the norm please yeah yep anyway i'm crying don't cry uh bridget bridget hanging around round fairy circles Mm -hmm. um i am definitely uh bridget um i will stand in weird circles in the woods i will climb the weird stairs in the woods that you're not supposed to so i don't give a fuck um i have no sense of (laughs) (laughs) self-preservation same yeah yeah i mean my good my idea of a good time as a kid was like screwing around with my cousins and my siblings and stuff in the woods and finding like all those old houses back there that have been there for like fucking 50 years and they're just rotting Mm -hmm. yeah i used to i used to hide in the side yard which had a bunch of trees in it and just throw rocks at pedestrians (laughs) (laughs) so yeah i get you yeah that's that's the mood that's the vibe so um like I get it Bridget like I totally get it Mm -hmm. um other people did not vibe with Bridget like we vibe with Bridget so um (laughs) fairies are a no-no um personally I don't screw with them there are witches out there who will work with fairies it is not for me um because they're very tricksy um and I I'm just not in the mood to deal with that nonsense (laughs) i don't have the patience to like diffuse the bomb that is dealing with fairies okay Um, yeah uh and we've talked about i think maybe in the scotland episode question mark um about the conflation of witchcraft and fairies you know the whole she went with the fairies or she was gone with the fairies thing yeah um so bridget living on the edge of a fairy ring and hanging out around fairy rings is going to be important so just put a sticky note on that got it one cold day bridget is out delivering eggs uh she had bought some hens at some point and was selling the eggs sort of some sort of as like this side hustle to her dressmaking um she's doing really well for herself between this and the dressmaking enough to like even own her own sewing machine so like girl boss girl boss yeah Mm -hmm. Boss babe. <laughs> Gaslight gatekeep girl boss. Mm-hmm. That is Bridget. Um, 
but she is out delivering these eggs in a place I can't pronounce and looked up and it was no help. Mm. And this is one of those words that I don't want to attempt because it's like 15 letters long. Um, so I'm just going to spell it for the audience. Okay. So it is K-Y-L-E-N-A-G-R-A-N-A-G-H Hill. Sure. <laughs> Thanks, Ireland. <laughs> so many of those letters were unnecessary. Mm, mm-hmm. I, I, it has Kyle in it, but my brain tells me that because I see the Kyle and the rest of it, that it's probably not Kyle, that it might be like Keela, blah, blah, blah. Um, it's Kyle, Kyle Hill. Kyle Hill. That's what we're calling it now. Um, <laughs> she's delivering eggs to Kyle Hill. Mm-hmm. God, I hate the name Kyle. Me I have too. Oh my God. Name, Kyle. Yes. I wonder why. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, this is the site of a fairy ring, and it's also where a Mac, uh, man named Jack Dunn, sometimes John Dunn, I don't know. Like, I got to reading accounts, and I thought that Jack and John were two different people, um, but they do the same things in both versions of the story, so I think that Jack and John are the same person. Yeah, I think Jack is a nickname for John. Yeah, they don't tell you that anywhere. They just (laughs) use, they just pick a different name in each version. (laughs) Yeah. And I didn't want to assume because uh, several of the people in here will have, you'll see the same first name like three times with different last names, or you're going to see the same last name with like five different first names. In yeah. Of it. So I did not want to assume that they weren't like brothers. Right. Uh, anyway, Jack slash John is a Shanaki, I think think is how I decided that I was going to say that a Shanaki or a Gaelic historian so somebody who collects all of these old stories um, from Ireland and like retells them for the community Mm. Uh, this is where he lives by the time that she gets home from this delivery she is feeling a little off a little sick Um, and as time progresses she feels increasingly under the weather oh Michael calls for a doctor that does not come despite repeated requests Hmm. and Jack by some accounts suggests in the interim that is not Bridget Boland uh, but is a changeling instead Hmm. which is most often a child but can be an adult it's when a fairy swaps places with a human right in the TV dramatization that I watched, this is kind of smoothed over like and explained because that does seem like a very harsh jump of like, why did he immediately assume fairy? Mm-hmm. Um, in this, it's explained that uh, Bridget shows up and because she's very feverish, she doesn't know what's going on and she doesn't know who anybody is because she's delirious from her fever. And the Yeesh. fact that she can't identify her own family is what makes Jack say she's a changeling. Oh my she's, God. She's not Bridget. That is scary on every single front. Yes. Um, in other sources, it's simply because Jack is a Shanaki and lives near a fairy ring and that Bridget was there the day she got sick, that that connection is made. Okay. So Jack suggests Dennis Ganey, a local fairy doctor, 
um, like, hey, you should go talk to him. Like the doctor, the real doctor hasn't been by. I think she's a fairy anyway. You should just go talk to this fairy doctor, dude. Mm-hmm. Um, and Michael goes and talks to Dennis and Dennis gives Michael a cure. Um, and this is something that you can feed changelings that is supposed to uh, kill them slash get them to like swap back with the the real version of whoever it was that they swapped with. Um, I don't know the particulars. It's all very folksy. Mm-hmm. Um, this cure is made with foxglove, notably. Uh, um... which, is, uh, <laughs> <laughs> which uh, people were like, well, uh, it might just kill them. So, yeah. <laughs> um, it's yeah. going to kill them. <laughs> like, In some stories, it was called a kill or cure. So it'll cure them or it'll kill them. 50-50. Yeah, it never happens. But I mean, if you think that uh, I read in some changeling cases of parents like literally killing their own kids, like either leaving them out um, in like the the woods and shit to to the elements, or even like straight up murdering them. Oh my god, that's um, so sad. Feeding them foxglove doesn't really surprise me. It's not that weird in the context of like all the other shit that's happening to supposed changelings. Right. Even when the local modern doctor finally shows up and declares Bridget is ill with bronchitis and prescribes her medicine for this, uh, Michael decides that he's going to use the fairy cure over the bronchitis medicine. Michael. (sighs) Sir. No. Mike, can we talk? (laughs) Hey, bestie. (laughs) Heart to heart. I just, side of the room, can we chat? Not a good look, Michael. (laughs) Many reasons for why Michael chooses to do this are given. Uh, The reasons being Jack is extremely persuasive that Bridget is a fairy. Uh, Michael is actually the one who started the talk that his wife is a fairy, not Jack. And this has always been his intended course Mm. of action. Uh, Michael believes in fairies heavily and will default to that belief over modern explanations as another reason. Yet Mm. another is that there's a deadline to getting his wife back from the fairy realm and superstition or not. It's a risk that he cannot take um okay so like if you don't do it within however many like 24 hours nine, or whatever. nine days is oh. the the <laughs> what it's like he could have waited a couple more days then <laughs> i think by the time that they get the medicine and everything oh okay I think we're closer to day six or seven okay got by the it. time the doctor shows up so you've only got like th- three days that yeah. we're messing with here it's like i could give her the bronchitis medicine or i could treat her for being a fairy for the next three days just in Mm. case um and then finally an explanation is that michael's father dies the week that bridget is sick which cements for him that bridget must be a changeling because this tragedy is a deliberate ploy to draw attention away from bridget slash the changeling um it's kind of part of the lore that if you have like a changeling in your family and maybe something tragic will happen like the death of a family member because you'll have to go to the funeral attend to them Mm. and stop paying attention to the changeling and then that time limit will pass oh that is very tricky 
yeah so there's a lot of things are happening and there like i said there are a lot of reasons given for why michael chooses to do this i don't know which version is the correct version i'm just presenting them all to you as i came across them Mm -hmm. so we come to march 14th william simpson neighbor and the supposed adulterer uh goes by the house to visit Bridget, as a lot of friends and family have been doing during her illness. Uh, But he walks into a crazy ass scene. Mm. So Jack Dunn, aided by Bridget's cousins, Patrick Kennedy, James Kennedy, and William Kennedy, are holding Bridget down in bed. Mm. Bridget's Aunt Mary Kennedy stands to the side of the room. William, I don't know how to say his last name. It looks like a hern to me. Um, It's A-H-E-A-R-N-E. He's holding a candle. He's a young boy. And Bridget's husband, Michael, all the while is forcibly feeding Bridget the fairy cure, asking, are you Bridget Boland or Bridget Cleary, wife of Michael Cleary in the name of God? And the guy's like, hmm, come back later. (laughs) (laughs) It seems I've got you at bedtime. (laughs) Ah, yes. He's like, and I will learn the lesson of knocking from here on out. (laughs) Right. Cheerio. (laughs) (laughs) He just grabs his hat back from the hat rack, puts it on his head and backs away. (laughs) Shop of the morning. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, that's super awkward. Yes. Um, William Simpson notes Bridget has a burn mark on her forehead and is later informed it's from a poker they were holding to her face during questioning. Oh my god. As the night continues, Bridget continues to be subjected to horrors. She is drenched in a pan of urine. Ew. Uh, She just has urine thrown on her. Um, She is given repeated doses of this cure. Remember, it has Fox Club in it. It probably tastes like absolute fucking shit. Um, But three is the magic number here. You have to take it three times. You have to answer the question three times. Like, are you really my wife? Uh, Bridget is also hauled up to the kitchen and held over a fire, even described as being laid over the top of the grate. Like her body on the grate. Oh my Um, God. Because fire scares fairies. Except, you know, I'm sure being held over fire fucking scares everyone. Right. It scares me. It scares humans. Like what? Yeah. In the TV um, episode, it was definitely like when I got threatened, like I had to pretend I wasn't scared because if I showed that I was scared, they're just going to think that I was a fairy. Um, Right. Anyway, these tortures go on and on, around and around, until, by some accounts, Michael is convinced and satisfied and visitors go home. The next day, the 15th, cousin Joanna, mother, and cousins are by, and Joanna talks to Bridget, who says Michael is trying to make a fairy of her and has done this before, and Mm. even says he thinks she's a fairy because his mother went with the fairies. And the TV show paints this as that... Uh, Bridget was very successful with her dressmaking business and her egg selling business. Um, And you're in a period of time where like wife beating wasn't necessarily uncommon to Mm. see in like the courts and in the papers. And so Michael is dealing with a woman who's much more successful than he is. 
and he can't really control her maybe the way that he wants to dude women can't even sell eggs apparently not they can't even have bronchitis (laughs) this is fucked up yes Michael gets pissed off about this entire exchange, starts demanding to know if Bridget is Bridget again, and hits her. Following this blow, Michael loses it. I'm going to note that right around here in the story, accounts differ greatly. I read versions of the story where the relatives are inside the room as the next events unfold and they see the events, and I've read versions of them being in another room and only overhearing what happens. Mm. And all of these accounts vary in order of actions, things that are said, who is where. I'm going to try to do my best to include all of it, but just be aware that like this is an absolute clusterfuck of nobody's story matches. Okay. In one account, after Michael loses it, he locks the guests in the house as they try to flee the scene because he's going on this rampage and they don't want to be in the house anymore. Mm -hmm. He's like, no, fuck you. I'm going to lock you in the house. So they hide in a bedroom to get away from him. And from the room, they hear Bridget scream, give me a chance, before something hits the floor. There's another scream and then silence. Finally, cousin William Kennedy ventures out of the bedroom and comes back and tells the others, Bridgie is burned. Oh my gosh. In other accounts, the relatives are in the room as Michael repeatedly asks Bridget, are you my wife? Bridget refuses to answer the question the third time or can't. Like I said, three times is important. You have to do things three times, like father, son, holy ghost, like Mm. the magic number here. Yeah. Um, She can't answer the third time or won't answer the third time. And he goes ballistic. He rips at her clothes. He shoves her. When she falls, her head strikes the hearth of the fireplace and her chemise catches fire. The relatives panic, but Michael says, it's not Bridget, I'm burning. You'll soon see her slash the changeling slash the witch go up the chimney soon, depending on the source that you read, the word changes. And he proceeds to throw paraffin oil on his wife. Oh my God. And she burns to death. (sighs) Jesus. In front of her family members. Um. In some versions, she does not catch fire initially by accident, like her chemise doesn't catch fire when she falls. Um, Instead, he's the one who sets her on fire deliberately after kneeling on her chest and holding a lighted stick, sometimes a brand, to her face to scare her into answering his questions. When she won't, then he pours the oil on her and he strikes the match and sets her alight. Oh my god. In some versions, he also sits in a chair and watches her burn. Mm, Fun. Yeah, it's a blast. It's just fantastic. Um, Michael enlists the help of Patrick Kennedy, one of the cousins, to get rid of uh, Bridget's body with him. This, plus the rumors and some sources that Michael contemplates running away, um, maybe even out of the country, um, imply he knows that he has committed actual murder. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. But we do still have those versions of the story where, where while Bridget is quote unquote missing, he is waiting at the fairy rings for his real wife to return to him. But in some of those versions where he's waiting at the fairy rings, it's said he's only doing this uh, 
not because he believes it, but so that he looks crazy and has an alibi. Right. So again, this is another mess of like, there's multiple versions of everything. Mm -hmm. I am leaving things out of this story. In certain versions, Bridget is administered last rites by a father, Ryan, just in case, because, you know, everybody's separated by so much distance and she's sick with this. I think at that point, they still didn't know it was bronchitis. So it was just Mm -hmm. in case I can't like get here because, you know, I am not known for my long distance sprinting. (laughs) (laughs) He's no track star. No, I'm just going to do this while I'm here just to be safe. Okay. Um, I do like to imagine uh, Father Ryan as a cross country runner though. (laughs) Just, he is in an all out sprint. In his whole get up. Just right. dashing through the country <laughs> his cassock just flapping in the wind <laughs> he's known for his just expedited last rites look he's prompt he is he's on a he's on a schedule do you imagine nana's dying unexpectedly call for <laughs> father ryan an hour later just (laughs) (laughs) just like sweating buckets (laughs) (laughs) anyway um in the versions of the story where father ryan is a heavy presence um bridget has a service at home with michael after he accepts that she's his wife he wants to have like a mass at home with her while she's still a bit sick Mm -hmm. um but she does not swallow the communion wafer during the mass, probably because she's sick and also because she's been suffering abuse in the television show. She's just coughing really hard because she still has bronchitis and that's why she can't swallow it. Yeah. Uh, but this inability to swallow the communion wafer is what prompts the shitstorm. So it's not like this conversation about like uh, his mom and the fairies with like Joanna and everything that leads to it. It's the communion wafer thing that leads to it. Okay. In other versions, there's this whole bread and jam thing where Bridget has to eat three pieces of bread and jam and declare she's Bridget three times, but she only manages twice. Um, she's like I'm full <laughs> and that's what prompts the entire shit storm that happens that mm. like devolves into her getting murdered um I'm only mentioning these things because it can be very confusing to encounter the story in a different iteration every single time you click on an article mm. or a documentary or a podcast mm-hmm. The TV dramatization does a good job of folding in most all these elements and versions, but it still had to pick and choose at points what it was going to go with. Like a lot of these things, you just can't have both things happening at the same time. You've got to do one or the other. Yeah. Um, And in some cases, I think it didn't want to depict uh, graphic torture on screen. So all of that got cut entirely. Yeah. Like the having, like being held over a fire and having urine thrown on her, like is 100% absent from that. But those are the best details. (laughs) Yeah. I I mean, they're really bad, but like, that's the best part. Yeah. I think (laughs) you have to be of like a certain rating of a television show to depict something like that. Like, right. Yeah. 
and like a historical kind of program isn't necessarily <laughs> I don't think like the history channel is but like before. your grandparents watch before bed and they're like oh my god <laughs> Jesus fucking Christ <laughs> what are you watching uh yeah I could see that yeah so anything that you go with is going to pick a version choose a version they have to um because if you're gonna tell one seamless version of the story like you can't tell all of them like I'm trying to do is tell all of them which is why it's a disaster it's not Um, a disaster I'm following (laughs) and I have undiagnosed ADHD so it's difficult for me but I'm keeping up uh yeah, I bounce around because I got the undiagnosed ADHD too. And that's how my <laughs> brain works is all over the place all the time. Yeah. Um, but I am telling you this because uh, I want you to know that there is stuff that I am consciously omitting from the story because I had no idea how to shoehorn it in. So I am aware that Father Ryan was a part of the story. I am aware of this bread and jam thing. Mm -hmm. I am telling you that if you look up the story, you are going to find that stuff. I just did not know how to fit it into this story at all. Okay. Um, I would have had to have sacrificed other things to do it. Mm -hmm. Um, This case is just so convoluted and there are so many people involved and no one has the same account of anything. It's just so messy. Mm -hmm. But moving on, um, Michael Cleary, Patrick Boland, Mary Kennedy, James Kennedy, William Kennedy, Patrick Kennedy, Michael Kennedy, Dennis Ganey, (laughs) William Hearn, and Jack Dunn are all arrested. Good. Yeah. Uh, Dennis Ganey, the doctor, Mary Kennedy, the aunt, and William Ahern, I still don't know who the fuck he is, um, are let go. <laughs> it just, no, he's some young dude who was there. I'm assuming he has to have been like a neighbor or something. Mm-hmm. Um, they're let go. Like they're dismissed. Um, the rest minus Michael are charged with wounding. Hmm. Um, I I don't know why that in particular, but wounding is the the charge. Um, some of them get prison sentences, like small prison sentences mm-hmm. attached to that. Uh, Michael in particular is charged with drumroll manslaughter. <laughs> manslaughter. Manslaughter. Oh boy. Yay. We love the patriarchy. We love justice. (laughs) It's not like, listen, it's not like he accidentally hit her with a car because she ran into the street. He held her down and poured poison into her mouth. He murdered her. Even if her chemise did accidentally catch fire, like he poured fucking oil on her. Yeah. Yeah. And he let her burn and then he put a sack on her head and hid her body and then lied about it to everybody for days yes yeah and the sack over the head thing I mean that is definitely an act of somebody who is deeply familiar with a person and doesn't want their face staring at them like like that's guilt yes and that's remorse Yes. So that means he's not crazy. He knew exactly what he was doing. He just was doing something wrong. Mm-hmm. But <sighs> yeah, he gets manslaughter. He is sentenced to 20 years of hard labor 
After 15, he is released and he immigrates to Canada and he falls off the face of the fucking earth. Mm. What happened to him? Um, he got off light, too light, in my opinion. Um, but at least Bridget got some modicum of justice. I'm read about witches so often and like nothing happens to the accusers like they are triumphant and like that's the point of the story is they killed the bad witch and they win history is on their side yeah Um, but at least in this case uh people actually got prosecuted it kind of reminds me of um I don't remember where the fuck we were if we were in Poland or something that old woman who got beaten to death uh and right. they actually prosecuted the um the quack doctor right everybody. yes so it's extremely rare that you see anybody actually prosecuted for like hurting these women mm-hmm. bridget lives on in books music film and episode of lore which is the dramatization i've been talking about okay um, i did not want to say that that's what i was talking about because i wanted to surprise you there's not much of a surprise um, <laughs> but I do I'm surprised <laughs> I used to love that podcast and I know there's like an Amazon show now yeah it's one of the episodes of the podcast that they chose to turn into an episode of the show cool now I want to watch it I watched it this morning um, it's actually not bad like I said they do a good job of trying to take all like the disparate elements of the story and to make them seamless and make sense they just get Mm -hmm. rid of a lot of the violence of the story um they do actually have him burning her to Mm -hmm. death though it's just um the camera pans up slightly so like all you see is the flames it's yeah you know tasteful murder (laughs) (laughs) yes (laughs) Mm -hmm. anyway um she also lives on in children's rhyme are you a witch or are you a fairy or are you the wife of michael cleary Um, whoa and they say, uh, and I don't know how true this is because I don't live in Ireland, um, that Irish school children will sing this when they like skip rope and stuff, which is not weird because we sing things like fucking uh, Ring Around the Rosie. Yeah. yeah, London Bridge, all kinds of weird shit. Yeah. And uh, didn't they just start making one for uh, coronavirus? I don't know. I haven't I, heard that. Last year, I vaguely heard of one uh, for Miss Rona, um, <laughs> but uh, I don't remember it in its entirety. But yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if we get a couple of uh, new rhymes out of this. Yeah. Uh, but that is the story of 26-year-old Bridget Cleary of Balabadlia, Ireland. <sighs> that was intense. Um, the thing that is bothering me (laughs) is that he went to Canada and then we don't know what he did after no um I'm really hoping that like he didn't have a new family or anything up there um I bet he did and I bet he changed his name I don't like to think about it I just I really hope that he went up to Canada and he went to the wrong part of Canada not the like warm part of Canada but like the barren cold wilderness part of Canada and then he just froze to death <laughs> he froze like, to death. full Jack Nicholson <laughs> <laughs> that one I know exactly which um screenshot yes. you're thinking of <laughs> um I hope so too but how 
bananas would it be to find out that that guy was like your great grandpa it can't be any worse than my grandpa like the murdered one (laughs) true (laughs) well I mean being a murderer is worse than being murdered I would say he was trying to kill his sister when he got murdered (laughs) he wasn't a nice dude (laughs) Uh, (laughs) if I wonder if he would change his first name too like if he were changing his name to try and like start over he would have been about 50 when he emigrated Mm, I mean it wouldn't be hard math because he was uh 27 whenever he got married to Bridget and I think that was in like 1887 don't quote me um and this was 1895 that the trial took place and it would have been 15 years after that that he got released I can't do that math uh 1897 to 95 is five six seven eight years so eight plus which would make him 35 be like 35 plus 15 so yeah like 50 yeah that out if so, yeah, if, you're, if your grandpa <laughs> emigrated from Ireland to Canada as a 50-year-old man. Um, and would... we, we have photos of him. So if, he, if the photo looks suspiciously like your grandpa. Oh, my God. What if somebody found out because of this episode of this podcast? I don't know. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, that would be a dream come true for me. For you. Probably yeah. ruin their lives. <laughs> Yeah, but for me, but for Sarah, <laughs> I don't think you're understanding. For me, it's great. <laughs> Sarah gets to die happy. Yep. Life's dream accomplished. Yep. Um, that was a great story. Why, thank you. It was very spooky. It was different. Yeah, I liked it a lot. Good job. Mm-hmm. I'm excited for yours now. Oh, God. <laughs> Gracious. I hope my story is coherent. It doesn't have to be good. <laughs> Just coherent. coherent. What a low bar. <laughs> the bar is very low. Just lower the bar, even lower, and that will be good for me. That will help me out. Um, I am staying in Ireland, even though I have to go way far back in time because I realized that there's one more huge. Irish saint that I haven't talked about yet. So while we're here, I'm going to do that. We've talked about St. Patrick and St. Columba, but we have not talked about St. Bridget of Kildare. So the theme today is Bridget. Bridget. Is that the St. Bridget that we have a goddess for? Yes. Cool. Yep. This is going to be interesting. Um, I am very intimidated by this one. Um, (laughs) Let's say St. Bridget is very connected to a pagan figure. I will be talking about both the saint and the goddess, whether the saint was a real person, spoiler alert, we're not really sure, Um, and how these two figures sort of merged. Um, if you believe that that's what they did, which it seems like that's what, that's what happened, um, why that happened and like the cultural significance of this kind of thing happening. Um, 
So I'm intimidated because I know that the goddess Bridget is super important to some people's modern practices, just as the saint herself is hugely popular, um, especially in Ireland. So I'm going to try not to get things wrong. Um, I imagine you know way more than me about some of this stuff. So feel free to jump in whenever. I never know a ton about the goddesses. I really only know about uh Bridget because of uh in bulk so yeah we're gonna talk about that yeah uh, <laughs> and I will put you on the spot later <laughs> oh joy I love pop quizzes <laughs> pop quiz where were you on the night of February 1st dead <laughs> and the crowd goes wild <laughs> what what's the scenario I'm confused <laughs> I went in my own direction I went off book there <laughs> um okay so I want to start with an introduction to the goddess Bridget just going like chronologically um and then I want to compare some stuff about the goddess to some stuff in the hagiography and then I want to talk about modern scholars interpretations and the holiday and stuff like that so Bridget or Bridget or many other variations of the name, is a huge figure in Celtic mythology and pre-Christian religion in Ireland and maybe even elsewhere. Um, there's evidence of worship of a similar, if not the same figure um, on the continent of Europe. So there was a statue dedicated to the nymph Bridget found in the Iberian Peninsula and there are names of roads, cities, rivers that all could possibly come from the same etymology that gives us the name Bridget. Um, and we find these all over Europe. So this is not necessarily a figure that's confined to early Ireland. And unfortunately, we're not sure exactly how widespread this figure is because we don't have written evidence. In the mythology, Bridget is a member of the... <sighs> Tuaha de Danon. I know that's not great. Um, and they are like a supernatural race or group of entities who live in the other world, but are able to interact with the human world, which is pretty typical of Celtic mythology. And these beings are immortal, they're ageless, they appear in myths and legends set centuries apart, but they're the exact same. Um, legends vary on how these beings originally arrived in Ireland or what would later be known as Ireland. Some say they appeared suddenly in like a dark billowing cloud that like descended from the mountains. And others say that they were angels who fell from heaven, which we'll get into more later. Um, some legends admit that they have no idea where these guys came from. So again, we don't have any of these legends and other Celtic myths and beliefs written down at all prior to Roman rule and the ensuing monastic golden age during the time of St. Columba. So that's when these stories are recorded by the monks around the ninth century. And the stories, of course, weren't just stories. They served a purpose. And the purpose, among other things, was to ease the transition from paganism to Christianity by editing certain aspects of the stories. So we see things in the monks' manuscripts, like the idea that these gods and goddesses are going to be called kings and queens instead. Or, like I just mentioned, 
that these are fallen angels instead of like a cloud of smoke. So keep that in mind um, that we don't really have a pure essence of these stories anymore because the first written versions are already edited in some way. Um, happens, even happens with a lot of pagan stuff. <laughs> Gee, <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> Gosh darn those monks who wrote things down. <laughs> Gee, it's almost like there's a coincidence happening all over the world at this time, everywhere. Uh, Fun. Um, yeah, don't worry, it gets worse. <laughs> Um, so one of the first manuscripts that mentions Brigid or Bridget is something called the Sanus Cormac, meaning Cormac's narrative, which is a ninth century Irish glossary of about 1400 words with their like definitions and etymologies. So in her entry, Brigid is first and foremost referred to as a poetess. She is also the daughter of the Dagda, who is another one of the Tuahade Danan. I'm not doing good at pronunciation. I know that. I'm sorry. The things that fall under her father's sphere of influence are things like the weather, crops, fertility, strength, and wisdom. He's often portrayed as a druid with a long beard and a hooded cloak, and he has a cauldron and a magic harp that apparently can control men's emotions, which is really not that hard to do, and you shouldn't need a harp. (laughs) But, I would like one anyway. anyway. <laughs> if you have to use a magic harp, you're trying too hard. <laughs> okay, but imagine just sitting on like the top of a building with the harp. <laughs> just and just ruining all of their days simultaneously. Yeah, you know, that would be fun. You're right. Yeah. Um, so that's Bridget's dad. Then the entry tells us that Bridget is a wise woman, a sage, the goddess of poets, and that she has two sisters who are also named Bridget. There's Bridget the physician and Bridget the smith. This suggests that she could be a triple goddess like the Greek Hecate or Hecate. The entry goes on to say that because Bridget embodies so many things that actually all goddesses are called Bridget. And this suggests that the name Bridget could actually be a title instead of a given name. So some scholars think that it is a title and the etymology is something like noble or exalted one um which would make sense reminds me of having marys in the bible they must all be the same mary or mary's a title (laughs) and guess what there really was only one (laughs) so it's too many women it is too many too many women with the name mary it's funny be multiple women it's funny that you mention that and bring that up because i am going to talk about um our favorite pope pope gregory ah no it's (laughs) it's all connecting in a very um not great way yeah it's not my favorite Um, We will get to that. So the scholar Patricia Monaghan, who wrote the Encyclopedia of Celtic Mythology and Folklore, um, she says, quote, as goddess, Bridget is a rarity among the Celts, a divinity who appears in many sites. Her name has numerous variants. As Celtic divinities tended to be intensely place-bound, the apparently pan-Celtic nature of this figure is remarkable. The Irish goddess ruled transformation of all sorts, through poetry, through smithcraft, through healing. 
So I really like that, like that she embodies transformation instead of being like, oh, this one little thing. Like she is somehow everywhere all at once. I'm a Mm -hmm. fan of that. Um, I read another source from the 11th century by an anonymous author called The Book of Invasions or The Book of the Taking of Ireland. This is another glossary of poems and prose narratives. And Bridget's entry in this book tells us that she is a fire goddess who owned two sacred cattle. And she also owned the king of the swine. We're going to stick a pin in that. Um, So again, she's ruling like all the basic functions of an agricultural society. So Christian monks like um, St. Patrick and St. Columba arriving in Ireland and they're just like confronted with this widespread belief in a goddess, a female figure who holds dominion over these people's whole lives. Um, That's going to be a bit of an impediment to the Gales or the Celts accepting um, Christianity. Like, do you have a moment to talk about this dude instead? (laughs) And they're (laughs) like, "Mm." replace all this. You're like, "Mm, we don't really like men around here. (laughs) Mm, I'm going to have to pass. (laughs) (laughs) Mm, Dude, does it have to be a dude? Can we? They're like talking about, they're like, he has long hair. Like, if you look at him with squinty eyes, (laughs) he's squint really hard. Um, (laughs) That's funny. Um, So, Yeah, so let's talk about the saint for a little bit. In the 7th century, Pope Gregory instructed Christian missionaries to Ireland and Scotland to, quote, take advantage of well-built temples by purifying them from devil worship and dedicating them to the service of the true God. And again, this is- I just love him so much. (laughs) (laughs) Isn't he fun? He's so I'm going to name my firstborn child after him. <laughs> Gregory. Aw. Greg. Gregory. A baby Greg. <laughs> like, I look at my Uncle Greg, and it's like, you were once a child in a stroller. You and were... they called you Greg. <laughs> <laughs> you were somebody's baby boy that they held in their arms, and they called you Greg. <laughs> Go make Greg a bottle. <laughs> Greg, it's not good. It's not. <laughs> he it's, sounds like he's twice divorced at like two months old. <laughs> it's not a proper name for a baby. No. No. Um, <laughs> yeah, so Pope Gregory was once a baby. <laughs> <laughs> and he grew up to systematically destroy civilizations. <laughs> and um punish women for existing (laughs) um sounds like a very greg thing to do it's a greg move yeah so in the spirit of converting pagan temples the shrine at kildara or kildara i'm not sure it translates to temple of the oak that shrine was converted into the monastery at kildare And it was there that the first hagiography about St. Bridget was written by, we believe, a monk named cogitosis, which (laughs) sounds like like an upper respiratory infection. (laughs) A fungus of some sort. (laughs) 
there is a fungus among us, and his name is Cogitosis. Um, lots of fun names in this story. So I used a 1987 English translation um, in episode three, which is a lot to ask of you to remember that. Um, I mentioned that the life of St. Patrick had been written by a guy named Muirhu. I love him because he <laughs> reminds me of the owl. He's an owl in my head. I remember you said he sounded like an owl. Um, huh? that was I don't when... know why. It's my immediate connection to him. <laughs> yeah, that was when we were eating changos. Yes, um, Good times. Feels like forever ago. So Muirhu, who wrote The Life of St. Patrick, was this author, Cogitosis's son. So that family. <laughs> look, they were high achieving. <laughs> they were high. They were, they were high on bread mold. <laughs> um, all the time. No. Well, maybe. One woman was not there to veto any of that. <laughs> veto. What if like she only got like 60 vetoes and then the 61st name he's like cogitosis. <laughs> <laughs> he was like waiting her out. He had that planned. Yeah. The other ones were like bronchitis. <laughs> Psoriasis. Myocarditis. <laughs> Exactly. So they landed on cogitosis. Um, <laughs> so from that, knowing that he is Muirhu's father, we can estimate that the hagiography was written around 650 at the latest, which makes it the earliest hagiography written in Hiberno-Latin. It came before all the others. So I will read the very first paragraph of the preface. <clears throat> you compel me, brethren, to undertake to record in writing, after the fashion of learned men, the miracles and deeds of the Virgin Bridget of holy and blessed memory. The task which had been imposed on me, and which is a difficult one on account of its delicate subject matter, is quite beyond my limited powers, my ignorance, and my command of language. But God has power to make great things out of the smallest, just as he filled the house of the poor little widow with a small amount of oil and a handful of flour. So that last sentence is a bit of foreshadowing the biblical allusion to like a small miracle um, because that's what we see throughout the story. 90% of it is just relating one after another these unrelated miracles that Bridget performed or participated in. So that was the exact same thing we saw with like the life of St. Patrick in St. Columba. It's just like, here's a long ass list of shit that they did. Um, which I think is more so like it's a very Celtic um, thing whereas in others like uh, written a little later and in the continent of Europe they're they're more of like stories and these are just like vignettes um, so in the next paragraph the author assures us that all of this is 100% factually true unadulterated fact 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 <laughs> That, ha um, that has been passed down through generations without losing any truth at all, 100%. And he tells us that the objective of the story is to, quote, bring to the public eye the greatness and the worth of the virgin radiant with good virtues. Record scratch. What? Bridget the goddess was not a virgin. 
she had a husband and a son. So that's different. Um, first big difference there. Um, so he continues, um, quote, she continued to grow an outstanding virtue. And as countless people of both sexes drawn by the fame of her good deeds flocked to her from every province throughout the whole of Ireland and pledged their vows to her, she built her monastery on the plains of Magleaf, I think, on the firm foundation of faith. It is the head of almost all the Irish churches with supremacy over all the monasteries of the Irish, and its parukia extends over the whole land of Ireland, reaching from sea to sea. So there's another clue right there, more subtle objective of this story, although it's not subtle at all, is to elevate in some way the status of this particular monastery. We're the best because we were founded by a saint, so we have authority over everybody else. Um, pretty typical. So after the preface, we get a table of contents, which cracked me up. So these self-contained stories, the titles of the chapters are so funny because it's like, they're all like of the blank, which happened. Like, so there's of the cow milked three times in one day. <laughs> Excessive. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But that's that's the miracle. Is <laughs> the cow was milked three times in wow. one day, and we're Blown telling away. we're telling people, a whole story. <laughs> people gathering from the countryside to watch this cow milked three times in one day. Exactly. Another one is of the water blessed and turned into ale, and then of the of the big tree being moved from its place. <laughs> like they're very. It's a Celtic kind of miracle. But I also like the idea that now any tree re relocation service dude <laughs> is a miracle worker. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I do like that. That's sweet. Um, so this is from the first story, which is called Of the Churning and the Butter Given Away to the Guests and the Poor. Dirty. <laughs> waka waka. <laughs> uh, it says... Now St. Bridget, whom God foreknew and predestined according to his own image, was born in Ireland of Christian and noble parents. I'm skipping a line because I can't pronounce the parents' names. <laughs> she grew from childhood in the pursuit of good. For chosen by God, the girl was by character totally self-restrained and chaste and was continually progressing to better things, which immediately made me think she had undiagnosed ADHD. <laughs> Um, and who can adequately recount her deeds and the miracles she wrought even at that age? However, we shall offer the following few selected from countless others by way of illustration. When she was old enough, she was sent by her mother to do the work of churning so that she could make up the butter from the cow's milk. She too was meant to carry out this work in the same way as other women were accustomed to do, and to deliver for use the complete yield of the cows in the customary weight and measure of butter at the appointed time with the others. However, this maiden, with her most beautiful and generous disposition, preferring to obey God rather than men, distributed the milk and butter liberally to the poor and the guests. So when, as usual, the appointed time came for all to hand in what the cows had yielded, her turn came, and when her workmates presented the finished result of their work, the aforementioned blessed maiden was also requested to hand in her work in like manner. In dread of her mother, since she had nothing to show because she had given the lot away to the poor without a thought for the morrow, strengthened and inflamed with an ardor of faith so intense and unquenchable, she turned to the Lord and prayed, 
Without delay, the Lord heard the maiden's voice and prayers, and being a helper in the hour of need, he came to her assistance with a generous bestowal of a divine gift and lavishly restored the butter for the maiden who had confidence in him. You're telling me that I can Walmart grocery delivery fucking Jesus? <laughs> you can, and Bridget did. <laughs> All right, next time I'm missing an ingredient in the kitchen, I'm praying <laughs> instead of putting it in my cart. I think you should definitely do that. Um, so that kind of like gives us an idea of the the kind of the ways that these little stories are told and the kind of language he uses. It's very simple. It's like anyone can understand exactly what's happening. In the miracle that's related next, Bridget's parents want to betroth her to a man, but she doesn't want to be married. So she goes to the bishop and says, um, hi, I would like to marry Jesus. Um, and the bishop is very moved by her saying this, and he gives her a veil to wear, and she kneels before the altar, and she touches the wooden base of the altar with her hand, and when she does that, the wood turns green like a sapling. And it says in the text that, quote, this wood flourishes green to the present day as if it had not been cut down and stripped of its bark, but was attached to its roots. And to this day, it rids all the faithful of afflictions and diseases. And again, this is the church in Kildare. So this altar base, I'm assuming, is still there when the monk is writing this. So again, this is like, come to our monastery, come live here. We have miraculous things this happening. Is like a travel brochure. Exactly. Which is a lot of times what hagiographies did was <laughs> make tourists come to your little village and buy things from your townspeople. Um, in one miracle, the harvest day is rainy and stormy and a bunch of crops are ruined because they can't be harvested. But Bridget's fields... There's no rain there. She's good to go. Um, so, so far we've seen that this Bridget, the saint, has some kind of affinity for livestock, harvest, weather, the natural world in general. In particular, I found the Greenwood altar miracle interesting because it kind of warps the meaning of fertility. Like the text tells us that the altar turned green back into green wood and it's made living because of Bridget's virginity which doesn't actually make sense at all <laughs> I should just go touch everything <laughs> I'm gonna save the world <laughs> oh my god <clears throat> your dresser just like turns into an actual tree in your house um it's a dangerous power <laughs> right uh so yeah it's weird this is kind of I think it's a, a little bit of trickery um something something's off like just somehow because she's a virgin she makes things grow like the logic is not totally there um but she also performs some miracles that are seriously on like a Jesus level like she restores sight to blind people and speech to mute people and she cures people with leprosy. So she does a whole variety of shit. But again, healing, livestock, harvest, all of that situation, just like the goddess. 
There is the story of a miracle in which Bridget commands two cows to do her bidding. Um, if you remember, the goddess Bridget owned two sacred cows. Um, and she also owned the king of the swine. And in one miracle in the hagiography, St. Bridget blessed a wild boar and it became tame and remained with her a flock of swine. So like, how did that stuff get in there? Um, crazy <laughs> coincidence. Um, the text even says at one point, quote, from all this, it can be clearly understood that the whole of nature, beasts, cattle, and birds was subjected to her power. So they take the dead horse, they bury it in the ground, they beat it some more until it's way deeper in the ground. Then they beat it all the way into the earth's core, basically. Um, I imagine the monks, like the guy who's writing cogitosis, just like taking, um, taking suggestions from the group like people are just shouting things out this is what i've heard the peasants say about their goddess and he's like oh good 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 i'll write it down also have you ever gotten like a shitty assignment from a supervisor that you're just like reluctantly doing because you have to <laughs> <laughs> this also to some extent feels like you need to get people to go visit this monastery make some up he's like god damn it sure whatever i'll just toss it all in there slap my name on it yep exactly he plagiarized half of it, hoping nobody notices. <laughs> it's definitely uh, plagiarized. Yes, I would say. Um, so let's talk about, uh, so I know this is really unorganized, but the hagiography is literally a list of unrelated stuff. So like, take it up with the monk, not me. Um, let's talk about Bridget being a feminist icon for a second. This is the miracle, quote, of the pregnant woman blessed and spared the birth pangs. So it says... With a strength of faith most powerful and ineffable, she blessed a woman who, after a vow of virginity, had lapsed through weakness into youthful, I forgot to look up how to say this word, concupiscence. It means lust, I don't know. Um, as a result of which her womb had begun to swell with pregnancy. In consequence, what had been conceived in the womb disappeared, and she restored her to health and to penitence without childbirth or pain. Um, so that was an abortion. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, what the fuck happened to the kid? She's just like, voila. <laughs> it, isn't it so interesting that, like, that's a miracle? So bizarre to me that, like, her being pure is so desired then they'll mm -hmm. go as far as like aborting a whole baby to make it yeah. happen. Like they, ha they had a moral choice to make their like, do, do we born the baby or do like we make <laughs> the woman pure? And they right. said, yeet us the fetus. So. <laughs> fetus deletus. Yep. yep. Um, I don't know what to do with that situation, that scenario. I it's very interesting but it also a little bit feels like definitely a dude wrote it like, <laughs> ah we must restore her back to purity let's just remove the baby and <laughs> make her perfect again right and somehow that's somehow that fixes it <laughs> i guess i don't, Men don't know. think that far <laughs> cogitosis was not a good cogitator <laughs> no. um yeah so another feminist moment, this is the miracle of the silver brooch thrown into the sea. 
It says a layman who was at once highborn and deceitful in character was burning with lust for a certain woman and cunningly contemplating how he might indulge in intercourse with her entrusted his precious silver brooch to her for safekeeping. Then he took it back unknown to her and threw it into the sea so that since she would not be able to give it back to him, she might become his slave girl and he might subsequently use her sexually as he pleased, which is like a lot for a hagiography to say. Like, this is a different manuscript, dude. (laughs) Supervisor's like, oh, wait, this was already published. Like this went out. Mm. this went through workshop this passed (laughs) yeah the other monks loved it of course they did Uh, (laughs) right fucking sickos (laughs) um yeah he wanted to use her sexually as he pleased um he schemed to carry out this wicked plan saying that he could not be placated by any other object or amends unless he had the use of his silver brooch on its being returned to him or of the woman herself after being reduced to the condition of his slave for the guilty gratification of his lustful whims. Fearing this, the chaste woman fled for safety to St. Bridget as to the safest city of refuge. When the saint had become acquainted with the woman's case and was deliberating on what she ought to do about the matter, before ever she had finished speaking, a man came along to her with a fish taken from the river, and when the insides of the fish had been cut open, the selfsame silver brooch which that cruel fellow had cast into the sea for the reason given above was found inside one of the fish. And so afterwards she proceeded with the infamous tyrant to the people assembled to deal with the case, bringing along the brooch with a great sense of relief. Then she showed him his brooch, and many who were able to recognize it testified that it was none other than the actual one which had been under discussion. As a result, she freed from the hands of the most cruel tyrant, the chaste woman who was her follower. So, Bridget travels, travels, Bridget travels all over Ireland gaining both male and female followers and setting up communities for them, just like Patrick and Columba would later do. Eventually, she ends up at her home church of Kildare, which is where she died and was buried sometime around the year 525. And I forgot to mention she was probably born around 450. So she was like 75 when she died. And she died on February 1st. Interesting. (laughs) Convenient. (laughs) Exactly. Um, So let's talk about that. February 1st is known as St. Bridget's Day in Ireland. Um, There's another holiday that falls on that day called Imbolc. Um, And it's the halfway point between the winter solstice and the spring equinox, right? Sure. I don't remember when all our holidays are. I just know they exist. Yeah. Um, It's one of the ones that doesn't move. Right. It is not a movable feast. Um, Although, interesting, it used to be. It used to be like, "Mm, whenever we feel like it around the time when spring seems to be starting. (laughs) (laughs) Eh, Looks kind of green out. Yeah. (laughs) See a little green. Um, yeah, so Imbolc is mentioned in early Irish literature, so we know that it existed before the Christianization of Bridget, obviously. What we're not sure about is how the customs developed associated with both of the holidays. Like, did they develop um, in similar ways and the same in different places? It's not always clear. 
So we don't have archaeological or written evidence of these customs until the early modern period after things had started to merge. Um, so we can't say for certain whether people were doing all of these things before St. Bridget's cult had spread. Um, so these are the customs that we do have written evidence of, like from old poems and stuff. There is, uh, on Imbolc, we milk the sheep. Um, <laughs> that's a big thing. Um, some lambs are born. Um, we have a feast and we wash our hands, our feet, and our head. So we have like um, the lambing season, the preparations for spring planting, the ritual cleansing, pretty like pagan-esque customs. Um, but we also see customs that could be either pagan or Christian, like visiting holy wells, um, lighting candles, making small offerings. Like these could be either, they could be both. Um, in the north of Ireland, celebrations of St. Bridget's Day involved a family member standing in for Bridget and circling the family home three times, carrying a bundle of rushes and asking to be let in. It's and very I'm similar to Imbolc rituals. Really? Yeah. Do you remember when I wrote the, uh, the story for um, RA's class where they're standing out in the middle of Giant City State Park? Yes, I remember. Bridget, Bridget, come in. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yes. I remember. Same thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so on the third time, the family member was let into the house and the rushes were scattered on the floor to make a bed for Bridget or woven into something called St. Bridget's Cross, which is still like a hugely popular symbol, um, especially in Ireland. You'll see them above doorways, um, in people's homes, um, because again, she represents the threshold, the transformation, um, winter into spring. Um, so I'll post a picture of one because I really like them. Um, in Ireland and Scotland, an effigy of Bridget made of rushes was paraded around the community by women and girls. Um, in some places, these were only unmarried girls and they wore white in a symbol of purity. They would carry the effigy all over town singing hymns and they would ask for admittance at every house, um, like you mentioned, and the night would end in a huge feast and the young men in town would ask for admittance to the feast and they would be allowed in if they showed respect to the effigy. So again, I just think it's such a cool combination of pagan and Christian customs, like mm -hmm. the white for purity and the hymns, but also like the effigy and like this like clearly sexual undertone of like, hello. Um, yeah, as the girls like turning into women and stuff, again, the transformation, like it's all mixed up together. I just think it's cool. Um, so Imbolc or St. Bridget's Day is also thought to be a forerunner of the North American Groundhog Day. Um, Our holiday that <laughs> I thought was so normal growing up that, like other countries, if you don't know, like we tell the fucking seasons with a goddamn groundhog. We, over in Europe, they have these beautiful parades. They weave these cute little crosses. They have a feast. Here in America, what we do is we descend upon the city of Philadelphia <laughs> and we yoink a groundhog out of its hole 
and we blind it with flash photography. <laughs> and the groundhog tells us that there are six more weeks of winter. I don't know. He even has a fancy name. He does. Yeah. But I forget it. It's Phil. Phil. Yes. <laughs> Philip. Excuse we draw me. pictures of him and color him in grade school. And it's just. Oh, yeah, that was oh, weird. It was a whole, it's a whole thing. You recall this, yes? I All do. All the art projects. I do recall it now. I didn't before you mentioned it. Yeah. It's, it feels very culty and weird. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's so funny because we do so much like pagan stuff. Just asking a groundhog what the season <laughs> is. Yeah. And coloring. For us. Yeah. And he's never right either. And we still celebrate it. It's impossible to be right. No, I think his success rate is abysmal. <laughs> it's impossible to be right. And also, why would you put that much pressure on him? On a groundhog. Whose idea was this? I would like to know. Probably the pilgrims, the Puritans. They ruin everything. I think it's some rich white guy with a yeah. groundhog. <laughs> yeah, true. Um, so that's what we do here <laughs> to celebrate St. Bridget's Day. Um, so, so how would you, this is me putting you on the spot, how would you, a modern pagan living in North America go about celebrating the holiday of Imbolc? Like, is Bridget involved for you? Uh, she's heavily involved in the holiday. We have some holidays that are more, like, deity-centered than others, mm -hmm. um, and you can try and celebrate those holidays without, like, necessarily pulling the deities into it, which is what I do, because I don't necessarily uh worship deities mm -hmm. um or call on deities so I'm aware of Bridget but I don't necessarily like pay any tribute to her or mm -hmm. like involve her at my altar or anything but you know there are the colors of like fire and stuff like that you can work into your altar lots of like reds and oranges um I usually light candles um it's a very big thing mm -hmm. um I feel is that when corn husk dolls are also yeah. a thing I yes. believe so yeah that also go on altars um we have it, I know eight holidays doesn't seem like a lot but like, it is a lot when all of our holidays are about like the seasons and transformation they do run <laughs> together just a tad <laughs> just a wee bit yeah yeah <laughs> that's funny uh, but yeah um in bulk in particular stands out to me as being like this period of transformation moving out of the dark into mm -hmm. the light being this period of like magic in the air um and just everything being you know a little bit spooky and a little bit malleable mm -hmm. yeah mm -hmm. but that's yeah, cool that's, that's what I do is the colors and the candles and you know mm -hmm. the dolls and uh you know, mostly just, I kind of be a little bit careful because a little bit of a borderland and like weird shit happens in transitional phases. Um, but, you know, just mostly welcoming in like the light and the life and everything that's getting ready to come back and leaving behind the seasonal depression. So. <laughs> <laughs> the old depression. 
Mm -hmm. And uh, we, I think, actually did a prayer to Bridget and Bridget uh, last year when the pandemic started because it started right after mm. M Bulb. Um, and Bridget had those uh, like healer um, connotations aspects yeah. to her. Yeah, interesting. That's super cool. It's it's been it's been some time, but yeah, uh, yeah. the pandemic that was like just a couple of weeks after in bulk. And I mean, we closed everything down like the second week of March, but we knew before then that it was coming. Right. PB's very doomsday that he was telling us for weeks, like you need to hoard your supplies and hold up in your house. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's coming. Yeah. That's him. That's his way of saying, I love you. Yeah. It was nice though. Cause I bought a bunch of stuff and I'm like, he's over exaggerating. And then they closed down the schools. And the next time I went to the stores, like everybody had like four Walmart carts and like yeah. all the lines were backed up and I had like one tiny thing. And it's like, wow, I'm really glad that I stocked up on supplies like three weeks ago because my teacher had a meltdown about the end of the world <laughs> as he often does <laughs> he's one step away from a prepper let's be honest I th I'm convinced that he is I think he has a secret bunker we don't know about yeah and he would never tell us <laughs> no <laughs> he doesn't want us uh to be there <laughs> no. which is fair <laughs> um yeah so I lost my place. I'm almost done, though. I know that. Me celebrating as a modern person. Yes, and thing. Groundhog Day. And, oh, I was going to say that um, in bulk is also sometimes called Candlemas. Mm -hmm. um, and that is, again, a Christianization of um, a pagan holiday. So that actually happened. I don't know when... The name Candlemas was associated with it, but um, so it's about 40 days after Christmas, um, which is when Mary, mother of Jesus, would have gone to the church for her, well, it's called churching, like 40 days after you um, have a baby, you go to the church, you get a blessing. So that's like, it all is being repurposed for like on christian terms um i also read a little bit about something called celtic reconstructionism which i had never heard of i guess it's a modern religion that attempts to reconstruct the practices of the celts pre-christianity so they try to celebrate this holiday without any christian influence which would be difficult to do it's so tainted yeah like that's one of the reasons that like modern witchcraft and everything, like even paganism, it's like neo-paganism is it's just so hard to reconstruct things as they were. Yeah. Cause we either never had evidence or it's, it's been destroyed. destroyed. By yeah. The winners. Um, so St. Bridget of Kildare's influence is very widespread all over the world. Her relics are scattered to the winds, Portugal, Germany, Australia. She is worshipped in Haitian voodoo along with Mary Magdalene. She was canonized by equivalent or popular canonization like Patrick. And her feast day is obviously February 1st. Um, and that's St. Bridget. Um, or Bridget of Kildare and her pagan counterpart, the goddess Bridget. Um, and I 
still feel very um, inadequate. Like I left a ton of stuff out. Eh, I think you did a, a good job. <laughs> oh, thanks. <laughs> you definitely knew more about uh, Bridget than I knew about Bridget. Only I only learned it in the past three days. <laughs> Sometimes that's all it takes. Yeah, this is the initiative to open Wikipedia. <laughs> Wikipedia, um, a couple other like legit sources, and then a bunch of legit question mark sources. <laughs> That's how it goes. Yeah. No, it's uh, it's really cool that um, I mean, we've definitely had it in the past, and uh, it's not coming to my mind immediately who I'm thinking of, um. But uh, conflation between like pagan stuff and uh, Christian stuff, saints and mm-hmm. uh, goddesses and witches. Um, but this is like one of the most obvious cases of yep. that ever having happened before. Uh, to the point that like if you look up one of these, you will almost certainly accidentally get information about the other one. You look up Bridget as part of in bulk and you start getting information about like her like monastery it's like hmm, why did she have a monastery <laughs> <laughs> exactly and it's what's crazy to me is that there are some people who maintain that these are completely different figures <laughs> inspired by completely different traditions it's like no no they're totally different people who had all the same elements <laughs> in their story and just <laughs> happened to have the exact same important day and, and the they same, have nothing to do with each other the same name and the yeah. same area like no it's It's like I believe in coincidence but uh (laughs) you're pushing it a little yeah that's a bit much like maybe (laughs) if they had the same name and they were both in the spring in the same area perhaps but like you know the cattle and the swine and the agriculture and the exact February 1st yep it's like I don't know (laughs) yeah I think that we (sighs) By we, I mean the church. Like, so much damage has been done that really the only thing we can do about it now, so much later, is to just be aware of it. Like, we, we, well, in some cases, we can do a lot more than that. But, like, like this case, for example, we need to be aware of the origins mm-hmm. and, like, just literally acknowledge them. Yeah. That's it. Like yeah. I am perfectly fine with also sharing the day with uh Saint Bridget, who may or may not be real. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, as long as it's acknowledged that like, you know, she has some ties to this goddess who like predates her. Um and they could have been two different people and her story got completely warped to look like Bridget's so that uh, people would confuse them on right. purpose yeah. and uh, adopt St. Bridget. I mean, there's a lot of reasons that it could have happened, but, you know, just acknowledge that they, they are similar on purpose. To not acknowledge it is like embarrassingly stupid (laughs) not acknowledging that like 
important Christian days are magically on top of all the important <laughs> pagan days. I'm like, yeah, your, your monasteries are on our sacred holy sites. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's like, hmm, how'd that get there? <laughs> what a coincidence. Never seen that before. Where'd that come from? <laughs> yeah, it's embarrassing. Um, yeah, and like, who knows? But my hope would be maybe someone who's Catholic and listening to this episode, just, just start doing your own research just a little bit at a time. You don't have to just like continue to sit with the things that make you feel bad like deep down like you it's okay like you can you can find out things for yourself you know and my suggestion to other witches is don't necessarily assume that christians have malicious intent by not knowing (laughs) like (laughs) this kind of stuff like just because they don't know that like a holiday sits on top of something else like until you encounter that information there is no way for you to know that information well we're purposely not taught that information yeah I mean I grew up in a very small town when I moved outside of that small town there's a lot of things that I've had to unlearn that I didn't even know I needed to unlearn I thought Mm. they were facts yeah I didn't know they were opinions right um so yeah just be be a little easy on each other because <laughs> not everything is done out of malicious intent. And I think this show is a testament to the fact that like we can get along and we have more in common than we think we do. I agree. And like some of the impulse that I think that like Christians feel when you bring up stuff like this, like I feel it too, like deep down this feeling of like, oh, no, that can't be true because if it is true, then blah, 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 like avalanche of like bad feeling and like questioning everything that you grew up learning. Like, mm-hmm. I totally get that. But like, on the other side of it, I completely acknowledge the logic of like wanting to conflate the two religions. If you wanted people to uh, adopt your religion or your culture you wanted things to mesh a little bit better because people aren't getting along and you know your town's not coming together quite like it should it's no one's assimilating everybody's very separate there's so many mm. divides like I can understand why you would want to start meshing these things so that people start uh, like bridging the gap between each other um, but you know there's still obvious dangers to that and we still uh we still destroyed people's cultures doing that and we have to acknowledge that that happened but yeah because um, we're still we still do it like mm -hmm. you know like it's it's still happening Mm -hmm. so you know I can recognize the fact that that's shitty and at the same time recognize that you know second christian over from the left is not the pope who decided to do that so (laughs) and doesn't even know that a pope decided to do that no they have no clue yeah oh man anyway randomly getting deep (laughs) on a tuesday (laughs) afternoon (laughs) i feel so exhausted right now Oh, yeah. Mentally, emotionally, physically. Spiritually. Yeah. Just wiped out. <laughs> yes. Um, thank you guys so much for listening. Oh, new listeners. Guess where? 
<gasps> Where? The Czech Republic. The Czech Republic. My people, my ancestors, uh, you may not claim me, but I claim you. <laughs> So where the bone churches? Yeah, that's where the bone churches. We yeah. love you. You don't know it, but we deeply love you. And we will visit the bone church one day. It's at the top of our list of places to visit. It is my list of places to visit. <laughs> Just the bone <laughs> church. Yeah. I would like to renew my wedding vows there. Do they let you do that? Uh, I don't know, but we'll find out. If you have to do it illegally, I will be there. I will be the lookout. <laughs> you can be the officiant. Awesome. I'll put that on my business card if it happens. <laughs> Bone church wedding officiant. Yes. Freelance grave dig- digger, human sausage. <laughs> <laughs> What's wrong with me? I don't know. I'm anyway. Not sure. Anyway. Anyway, thanks for listening and we will see you next time. Thanks be to God. Blessed be.